Welcome to Capturing the Abandoned, a foray into the world of rural and urban abandoned exploration. Hello, my name is Vincent Gerhardt, and along with my co-host, Mr. Lex Nichols, we'd like to welcome you to Episode 6 of Capturing the Abandoned. This podcast is for and about rural and urban abandoned explorers from anywhere in the world. On each episode, we will try to highlight and recognize a fellow explorer to see what inspires and motivates them. And most importantly, for all of us to get to know these explorers on a more personal level as an individual and as an artist. As of the recording of this episode, we have reached over 1,000 downloads slash plays of this podcast. And we are excited to have reached this milestone. And we'd like to especially thank you, our listeners, for making this possible. Thank you, everyone. If you enjoyed this show, would you please do us a big favor and share it with your like-minded explorer friends. In this episode, we are honored to interview Laura Stotts, who currently resides in North Central North Carolina. Adversity has not been a stranger to this lady. She has survived divorce, depression, cancer, and the loss of an estranged family member to PTSD. But Laura has a healing passion for capturing the abandoned and for getting behind the picture she takes to discover the people who once occupied these homes of her visits. She also has a great amount of appreciation and respect for our veterans, and that fact comes out several times during our interview with her. We cover all of this and more in this show. Without further ado, on with our interview with Laura Stotts. Today we have Laura Stotts from the great state of North Carolina with us on the podcast. Hello, Laura, and welcome to the Capturing the Abandoned Show. Hi, guys. Thank you for having me. It's yeah. great to have you. So, okay. Laura, would you want to go ahead and give us a little bit of background on you and some of the things that you like to do and what you like to shoot? Sure. I moved around a lot as a kid, and whenever I tell people how many different states I've lived in, they always ask if I was a, you know, a military kid and I wasn't, it was just because of my dad's job. And so, although there was a lot of instability with a lot of moving around, it allowed us to adapt and kind of roll with the punches. And we got to live in a lot of different great places. And one place that sticks out in my mind the most when I was a kid was when we lived in Texas and uh, this apartment complex that we lived there. And that was kind of where I got started with my abandoned addiction was when I was like eight years old, believe it or not. So yeah, we've traveled a lot and lived in a lot of different places. I come from a big family. I've got two kids, a grandson. And the thing that I focus on, I am so not into portrait photography. I like houses that just sit there and don't make any noise and you don't have to direct them and tell them how to move and pose. <laughs> and I stick to old farmhouses and I'm kind of particular about the, even the style of houses that I like to shoot. So yeah, uh, houses and the contents that people leave behind has kind of become my forte of what I like to shoot. Did you tell us a little bit more about uh, your Texas complex? Yeah, kind of an interesting story. I actually just recently looked it up on Google Earth to see if this complex still exists because when we lived there, so I'm 42, we lived there when I was like seven, eight years old. And for whatever reason, I don't know why, but the entire apartment complex was condemned. And I don't know why, because the little apartment we lived in was like super clean. And I mean, it was, it's not like we were living in squalor by any means. So the apartment complex was condemned. And 
one by one, the buildings started emptying out and there were, I think it was like six three-story buildings. So it was a pretty good complex. All of our friends started disappearing. Cars started disappearing out of the parking lot. And it was kind of this weird, eerie thing to witness as a kid that this neighborhood that you live in is suddenly becoming abandoned. Like I understood that it was being condemned. We were one of the last families to move because we were, my dad was getting transferred again and we were getting ready to move to Pennsylvania. So I think my mom and dad kind of dug their feet in the concrete a little bit and, and didn't move until the, until the last minute. Um, Cause there were six kids and we didn't have anywhere to go anyways. So anyway, wow. for fun, my younger sister and I would, it was curiosity. We just wanted to know like these empty buildings that we once, cause my mom and dad let us roam the buildings and the complex, all we wanted, you know, back in the good old days, you've got the freedom to just play. So we started roaming these buildings that were empty and we started checking doorknobs and we're checking windows and we start going in and we're fascinated by the things that people left behind. And we'd come home with like, I mean, we were like pillaging and plundering these apartment buildings and we were coming home with these little trinkets and treasures in our pockets and flea bites on our ankles. And I'm sure we were dirty and I'm sure my mom and dad were mortified that this is what we were doing, but there was something about the vacancy of it that I just, I just found so fascinating, even as a kid. Yeah. My roots go way back to the abandoned photography. (laughs) So whereabouts are you located now? Like central, central North Carolina. Okay, good. Yeah. So you used to go exploring when you were young um, so what uh-huh. got you into wanting to photograph these things? In 2008, 2009, I was diagnosed with stage 3B cancer. And I'd been sick for, gosh, four or five years. And it was a really painful illness that I had. Really frustrating. Couldn't get doctors to figure out, correctly diagnose, blah, blah, blah. I moved to Raleigh, North Carolina. I'm in the hands of some good doctors. I go through surgery. I do chemo. And chemo was the most grueling thing I've ever been through in my life, which I don't identify as like a cancer survivor. I never even think about the fact that I had it. The only reason that it even comes into play is because during that time in my life, going through cancer and chemo, that I was at home in the bed, really, really sick for a long, long time. And even before I got diagnosed with cancer and was sick, had a full-time job, was working crazy hours, chasing money, just kind of a crazy lifestyle. And, but the illness eventually kind of took over everything else. And I spent a lot of time at home. And whenever you're isolated like that, and I was a single mom at the time and, and had two young children, and it was, a, it was a very trying time in my life. And being isolated like that, isolation perpetuates feeling isolated. And it it kind of causes this, like, uh, I think a side effect of it is almost like a social anxiety that you develop. And so after I was done with chemo, and I didn't know that this emotional part of it was going to be like a side effect of it, I had a really, really hard time feeling like I fit back into normal society. Because I felt like it was equivalent to being uh, not to take away anything from like legit veterans, but it, the only way that I could equate it was like going out on the battlefield and coming home and you felt like you couldn't relate to anybody because you had just gone to hell and back and nobody knew that what you'd been through except for you. And it was just, it was hard to relate. 
to anybody. So I, I did develop some social anxiety and I stayed to myself for probably a couple of years after that. I, I had a hard time connecting with people. And so um, whenever I finally got into a relationship and got married and started working with my husband at the time, it was just he and I. I didn't really have to get out there and deal with the public. And, uh, and we spent all this time together and he was like my person and, and he was my comfort zone. And we worked together and we ran a great business together and we spent all this time and it just worked well. And um, we spent all this time on the road discovering these houses and, and taking care of his customers at, at the same time. And uh, part of the healing was getting out of my own comfort zone and my own shoes and learning other people's stories and their struggles and what they had overcome. Maybe that's why I connected with veterans because it's kind of like fighting the good fight, you know, and, and, and coming back and moving on from it and persevering. Just stepping outside of me and, and putting myself into letting other people tell their story. Their story became part of my story. And my story of being a cancer survivor didn't really matter anymore. That was just another hurdle that I had jumped over in my life. And I had accomplished it. And I was stronger. And I was ready to keep going. And I was, I was just ready to get out there and just, like, learn about other people. And, and so I kind of liked being, like, this random stranger that was knocking on people's doors to these elderly people that for often they didn't have anybody else and they're more than happy to sit down and share their story with me because a lot of elderly people don't have anybody and they don't have anybody to talk to and they certainly don't have anybody coming knocking on their door and saying hey tell me about you tell me about your life talk to me about your parents what did they do for a living you know how did they how did they make their money what did they raise who built this house and they're proud of it and they're proud of their heritage and it's a whole different lifestyle that just doesn't exist anymore. And I'm sure they think nobody cares about it. So I never mind knocking on somebody's door because they like telling their stories. <laughs> so that's how, uh, that's awesome. That was kind of, that was kind of a big part of how it got started. It was therapy for you. Yeah. Oh, for sure. It was for sure. And, and the people that I meet are my therapy and the, Photography and the art and the creativity is my therapy. So it's all good stuff. Wouldn't trade it for the world. Good. good. Well, thank you so much for sharing all yeah. that with us. The first time I met the first property owner of an abandoned house is when it was a game changer for me. And it was in 2015. And there was a house that was right out in the open. And like, I couldn't get away with trespassing without worrying about somebody calling the cops or whatever. And by trespassing, I mean, like I'm on somebody's property. I don't mean I'm vandalizing or anything by any means, but, um, so I thought, okay, well, I'm just going to go ask the neighbor across the street and see what they, and let them know what we're doing. So I go ask the neighbor and she says, well, the owner lives next door back there in the woods. I'd be glad to call him and ask him if it's okay. And I'm like, yeah, that'd be great. This is, this is good to get permission. Um, Cause I really wanted to get inside this house. And so she calls him and she said, well, he'll let you come over to his house and meet him and chat with him for a few minutes, but you can only stay a couple of minutes. He doesn't really, he doesn't really like, like people. And I'm like, okay, well, this it's kind of a weird setup, but yeah, I'll go talk to the guy. So we go over there and I ended up writing the story about this. It's posted on my blog, my, my uh, Instagram page as well. 
And we go over there and it is the tiniest house I think I've ever seen in my life. And this guy, you can hear it when he's unbolting the door. It sounds like he is unlocking deadbolts from the top of the door to the bottom like he's living in Brooklyn, New York. And I mean, like we're in rural North Carolina. And so, and I'm sitting there and it's almost like an awkward amount of time is passing as each of these deadbolts are opening. And I'm just like, what am I walking into here? And this tiny little guy opens up the door and just with this big smile on his face and, and he invites us in and you could tell that he was kind of leery of us. And I introduced myself and introduced my husband and, Hey, do you mind if we take some pictures of your home place? And he's, you know, he said, yeah, that's fine. And, and I tell him that this is just a hobby. And I said, well, you know, do you mind telling me some history about the, about the house? We ended up sitting there with this guy for an hour. And this was a guy that was like, you can come, but you can only stay for a minute. We <laughs> sit there with this guy for an hour. And he told us the most beautiful love story. And he was the most humble man I think I've ever met in my life. And he was so charming and so... It was just kind of like a, you know, you meet different people in your life that feel like a little bit of a game changer for you. I, I talked to him. We go photograph his house. And as I'm leaving, I told him, I promise I'm going to come back and see you. I'm going to come back and visit you and just check on you because this guy had no family. A week later, I get word that he died. And oh, this uh -huh. man literally had, yeah, so this man literally had no family, no children. His wife had passed. This was. And there was something about knowing that I was probably the last person that he told his love story to. And it was just this amazing, cute little love story. And I thought, I've got a story here. I need to write this. I need to write this down and share this because this was kind of an impactful day for me. And I don't know, maybe somebody else would think it was impactful too. And so I started my Instagram page in 2015 and I I didn't know that other people do abandoned photography because <laughs> I just was, I, I was new to Instagram. And so like, you don't really know what's out there until you're on social media and you see what's out there. And I start connecting with different people and I'm like, Oh, this is a thing. And like, you start learning hashtags and like there's actual hashtags that go along with abandoned photography. And it was like, it opened up Pandora's box for me. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. So I post these pictures, I post this story, I start a Facebook page, and I'm just not really knowing where I wanted to go with this. It was just more of a, I'm going to throw this story out there and see what people think of it. And so he, he was the one that um, kind of lit this fire for me, that I realized every single house has a story, and I, I need to know what it is. And I need to capture it before the story is gone. The owner has died. The house is demolished because this is literally like local history hiding in the woods. And unless somebody's telling it and writing it down and sharing it, it's going to be lost forever. The well, passion is definitely so, there to get out and capture all those moments and people and places. And uh, your stories that go along with your pictures are just amazing. Oh, thank you. But the, so the plot twist to that is, though. I fast forward, I can laugh about this now because, but it wasn't laughable at the time. A couple months go by. No, I don't even know if it was a couple months. I find out my husband has a drug problem and a girlfriend and it just ended our marriage right then and there. And I was so <laughs> devastated by it. Um, and now I'm laughing about it because I realized I dodged a bullet because he was just a complete, like, you know, he was just a complete piece of work. 
but I was so devastated by it. And I had become so um, passionate about that hobby with him. And because we worked together, we spent every moment of every day together and we worked and we explored abandoned houses. And I was so crushed by it. I deleted my Facebook page, deleted my Instagram page, deleted the stories I wrote. I had to get rid of all the pictures on my phone because it just felt so, it felt so heartbreaking to me that something I was so passionate about, like I, I was like, that was my partner. I can't do it anymore. Nobody else gets this other than him. And this was when I'm still learning that like, this is a thing for other people too, like a, <laughs> uh, like abandoned photography. I just needed to find like the right person to partner up with. And so I kind of had to like put it to bed for like, uh, I don't know, maybe six months, a year. And I couldn't even stand to drive down the same roads and look at any of those houses. And I would almost like put my hands up beside my eyes as I'm driving because I didn't want to see the houses and because it felt like a punch in the gut to me. And which is so dumb in hindsight to even think about. Eventually, I thought, okay, maybe maybe I'm ready to do this again. And I started getting back out. And then something about getting out and exploring again and writing and sharing then became part of that healing process. And, um, and so once I got back out there and, you know, maybe I went from a page that had maybe like a hundred followers and now I've got, you know, whatever X amount of followers, I feel like I've like blossomed and I've come out of my shell again and I've healed. And the thing I love about Instagram and connecting with other photographers and artists and and guys like you that are doing your end of it with the the podcast or the people that only do photography but no stories and the Sierra winds out there that are researching the history it's this whole collaboration of creatives and intellect and they're all super passionate about it and if you get to know them on a personal level a lot of them use this as a form of therapy from something in their past and I've started to notice that from following different people or befriending some of them that this is super therapeutic to a lot of people that do it. And so, yeah, yeah it's just a cool place to come together on Instagram and share it and be supportive of each other. Well, good. We're, we're glad that you're uh, here with us tonight and sharing your story. That's awesome. Every, everybody's got a story. You're right about that. People, um, find a passion for it and uh, they get to express themselves in ways that they never would have been able to before. So that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's cool to, to see the, the passion behind what they're doing. You know, the, I like the whys behind the house. So what are your favorite subjects that you like to shoot? Uh, and this is kind of a crapshoot. I, I like finding property owners that were veterans oh, and, awesome. um, I, I don't know why, but their stories, the stories that I've heard, they're kind of the ones that help weave the fabric of America without sounding like too cheesy, but like our veterans just have such a special place in my heart. That's one of my questions I always ask whenever I'm interviewing a property owner is if they were a veteran, their dad, their grandfather, and it, I just end up hearing some really cool stories about it. So I like shooting abandoned classic cars which is my other page the queen of rest and just kind of the classic like southern style farmhouse um you know stick built farmhouse and then the the contents that are that are left behind in it 
you were talking a little bit about veterans and stuff, and I know you've had a recent experience, uh, something close to home where you'd like to talk about that. That'd be great. Yeah. If I haven't already shared like too much information about my own personal life. Um, That's what we want. You know we want to know you. Yeah. Well, you know what? We're all human and we do all have, we are all flawed humans. And, and the best we can do is just learn to laugh about it and, and move on and get, you know, grow stronger from it. Yeah. So my little grandson, he's about to turn three. He, his father is a veteran and he served in Iraq and he, uh, he was married to my daughter, um, very briefly. And it, it ended very sadly for her. She very much wanted a family and he struggled with PTSD really bad. And I think that that PTSD caused him to behave in ways that were super unhealthy and toxic in any relationship. So they had split and thankfully she had moved on with her life and she met and married another man and I have a new son-in-law and, and, and I love him to pieces and he is so good to her. I just feel like I have to like throw that in there. But in the meantime, the father of her child had disconnected from her and her son uh, back in November and just with no explanation, no word, no would not return one single text message and he just kind of like disappeared out of her life. And, but he continued to pay child support. And so it was just kind of this weird little mystery that was like, I don't know, it was just bizarre behavior. We thought maybe he had met somebody and moved on. And several weeks ago, gosh, maybe it's been like two months ago now, she gets a phone call from his boss asking, when was the last time you saw him or spoke to him? And of course she said, you know, it's been since November. She calls me and she tells me and she said, Mom, I've just got a sick feeling in my stomach that something's happened. Uh, you know, no, nothing, nothing has happened, honey. It's fine. He's um, maybe he just skipped out on work, which him skipping out on work was super unusual. So she gets a phone call the next day and he had other children as well. The other mother of his children, not to like make it sound too complicated, had done yeah. some investigating. They found his he had planned a disappearance. They found his car with the keys left in the ignition. He had left a money of envelope in the mailbox of his other mother of, of, of his children's and for her to take care of the kids. And he, and so, um, and he was caught on video surveillance with a suitcase getting into somebody else's car. And so then like, you know, the plot thickens and we're trying to figure out what in the world has happened to him. A couple days go by, a couple weeks go by, nobody's heard a word from him. Then my daughter finds out that in his Jeep, he had also left a copy of his will. And she wasn't told that initially. And she called me and she said, Mom, I think something has happened. He was suicidal. He had talked about that in the past because the PTSD and what he experienced had just tormented him. And he just couldn't, he just couldn't get over it. And so then maybe two or three weeks ago, I get a text one day and she says his body was found. And I mean, it felt like a punch in the gut um, oh, yeah, to, to even sure. read that text. And I'm thinking, well, crap, did he, did he get murdered? Did he commit suicide? You know, what happened? 
and he had hitchhiked. And I mean, he researched the heck out of this. And it is just the saddest thing in the world to even think about like that level of loneliness and desperation. And my heart just hurts even thinking about it. His body was found deep, deep, deep in a state park up in Maine at the base of the uh, Mount Katahdin, which is a, um, from what I understand, a really rugged set of mountains. And uh, it's a really serious hike into it. And it was kind of by happenstance that his body was even found by another camper because he was so deep in the woods. And he 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 took his own life. And he 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 just he tried so hard to overcome the trauma that he had experienced while he was serving. And I did that post on Memorial Day because, you know, I, a lot of people struggle with depression. I've struggled with it in my past, and I know how debilitating it can feel. And I don't know, maybe because I'm a writer or a creative, I, I, it wasn't hard for me to try to envision those last moments for him and that hike and, I, and you know, how quiet and lonely and maybe peaceful. I hope it was peaceful for him. Yeah. You know, it must have been. And I did that post on Memorial Day kind of just to, to bring recognition to, hey, not only do we lose guys on the battlefield, and, and that's why we are remembering them and honoring them on Memorial Day. But there are so many, it's 22 a day that we're losing. You know, they survived it and then they came home and, and then they lost that battle. If there was something, something I could do, I don't know how I could get involved to bring some kind of awareness or to, or to help veterans with that, that aftermath of serving. Yeah, your post really touched me. So it's, I, I'm sure it touched a lot of people. and. And uh, made him, you know, more aware of the situation. So, thank you very much for for doing that. Well, well, thank you. Um, that was one of those posts where I'm like kind of cringing before I decide to click submit or you know post. It's like, oh, how is this going to be received? Because it's such a taboo subject for people to discuss mental illness and suicide, and but it's so real. Yeah. So I I hope just by talking about it and making it just common or, you know, comfortable dialogue and, and just everyday narrative that we're able to openly talk about that, that maybe that helps even. Yeah. So once again, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for sharing that. I know it's, I know yeah. it's tough, but we appreciate your honesty and, you know, people, people like to hear the, the real story, you know, so, well, I'm going to move on. So, uh, hey, but what, kind of equipment do you use oh if you knew how often i grabbed my iphone x you'd probably be ashamed of me <laughs> as a fellow photographer not I, at all um, <laughs> no nope, nope. the phones are the phones are good well so i shoot in i'm super specific with the way that i shoot i, I made like my first adult purchase for a camera maybe a year, two years ago, whatever. And I have a Canon T7i Rebel, I think is what it is. And I tried to research what was going to be the best camera for like buying kind of an introductory camera kit for shooting low light because I know how much, because I'm always inside the houses and I like shooting the content that's in the houses. And I almost felt kind of like embarrassed to whip my camera out in front of other photographers because I don't know how my Canon stacks up to other people. <laughs> 
um, until I had a legit professional photographer look at mine and she's looking at all the different settings on it and she's looking at the f-stop and all these things that still sound like German to me and she's <laughs> like oh this is actually a really good camera you know if you invested in a, a, a lens but different than like the kit lens she was like this is actually a really really good camera so now I feel proud of it <laughs> It's all about validation, right? <laughs> I don't know. So um, for my Instagram post, I always use my, I always shoot with my iPhone. And then for anything else that I'm going to print or book format or whatever, I always shoot with my, my Canon. So it's in raw format. Good. Hey, you know, that's awesome. There's so many people that use their phones and I post a lot of my stuff, you know, from images that I've shot, you know, on a camera, but I still... You know, I probably half of what I post is shot on my phone. Yeah, same here. Yeah, they've got good cameras. Why not? And the best camera you have is the one you have with you. So that's the way it works. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Yep. So, Laura, what what kind of um, software utility or anything like that did you use? Do you use any, any special software? Um, I just bought, I just taught myself, I guess I'm just computer illiterate because I really felt <laughs> like I struggled to learn how to use a program like Lightroom. And when it finally dawned on me, like I felt like I'd learned, like I'd cracked the code to life, you know, when I figured out how to use this. And then I use, I just bought a, oh, who was it? Lux Lens, where you can buy the, the packages of like um, filters and they've got some you know what? And I'm not trying to like, what is that phrase? I'm not trying to rebuild Rome. Is that what it is? Yeah, so, that works. Right. And I'm, I'm just trying to like, if, if I can buy a package where there's some beautiful filters, then yeah. So I'm going to use them. And that's what I have is Lux Lens and Lightroom is what I use. A little you, bit of Photoshop. What do you edit with on your phone? Oh, on my phone, I use the, oh, and I just bought myself, pretty proud of this purchase, my uh, my Apple desktop computer, and that is just the bee's knees when it comes to editing photos. On my phone, I use Adobe products as well, the Photoshop and the Lightroom. Awesome. Well, yeah, a lot yeah. of people, the Apple people use like mixtures, and on my uh, Android, I use Mix or, you know, whatever the standard Instagram you know, editing yeah. thing is, but Snapseed's pretty popular too. See, I don't even know about that. I'm going to have to check into it. See, I'm yeah, just, it's it's I'm a, a good I'm one. I'm a baby when it comes to this stuff. <laughs> oh well, you you turn out some beautiful work, so it, it doesn't <laughs> matter as long as it's as long as it's turning out like it is. You're doing a great job. Hey, it's that whole fake right. it till you make it, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and and nobody's going to judge you. You know, when they they see your images, nobody knows you know, what you captured them on unless you go out and say that. I think it's right. just like, like Vincent said, it's what you have in your hand at the time, you know, that's the best camera. That's absolutely right. <laughs> How long have you been doing photography? Um, I've been doing it. Let me think. Uh, maybe like 2005 ish. I mean, I'm still kind of new to it, like 15 years, maybe. So when did you start photographing specifically just the abandoned stuff? That was in 2012, whenever I was working with my my ex-husband and 
and just riding the back roads. And I, I specifically got a Samsung phone because they have excellent cameras on them. And it was one of those, well, let me at least just like upgrade my phone and see if this is a hobby that's really going to stick before I buy myself an adult camera. And so I stuck with the phone for a while. <laughs> Yep. Yeah, and it, it definitely stuck. I'm I'm obsessed with this hobby. Well, good. Well, your work shows it. That's awesome. Well, thank you. So we always ask everybody, you know, there's a, some good places, bad places, or whatever. So what's the what's the shadiest place you've ever shot at or been to? Um, there is, and I have it. I I so I got to where I was always taking videos as I was walking onto people's property. This is when I graduated from being a chronic trespasser to a permission first kind of girl. And if I, so I, I got to where I was always videoing as I'm getting out of my car, walking onto the property. Cause I always want to have some kind of, pr- I don't ever want to be accused of being a vandal or a thief. And because I know that that's like a huge, you know, people are out here like destroying people's property. And yeah. I so respect these homes that I go in. So I don't know. Part of it is kind of like video proof, but then I also use it for my post. So I get out of my car. There was this house I had dropped a pin on, and this is maybe out in like Iredell County, like Troutman area. I dropped a pin on it, and I also have my my rule of like never going exploring alone. And so I happened to be out that way one day by myself, and I'm like, okay, was it worth it to break my own rule of going alone? well, yeah, I'm already out here. Just let me go. So I get out of the car and there was a low hanging chain across the end of this long dirt driveway that had a no trespassing sign hanging on it, but the chain was down. And I thought, okay, well, that was hanging up last time I saw, so maybe somebody's here. And I thought, well, perfect. I'll just approach whoever it is that's here and ask for permission. So I've got my phone and I'm videoing and I walk up to the house and it, and I do not believe in haunted anything or spooky. I just don't buy into that crap. But maybe like this one time I did, this one house. <laughs> so I walk up and I start feeling that like, you know, you can feel somebody watching you or staring at you. And I feel it. And I'm like, somebody's watching me. No, that's silly. Just, I don't believe in that crap. Just keep going. So I've got my phone out and I'm walking towards the house and I'm keeping my phone face, like videoing the house itself, like trying to keep eyes over there, but I'm also scanning the property line behind me. And I'm looking for any sign of anybody. And there's lots of buildings and tractors and cars and barns and just a a plethora of places for somebody weird to be hiding. And I watched too much true crime, I think. And like my imagination (laughs) gets the best of me, but I swear that I thought somebody was watching me from somewhere and it was a strong enough, I always listen to my intuition. It was a strong enough gut feeling that was a, this isn't safe. You need to leave. And it was one of those, like, you don't have to tell me twice. (laughs) Cause even in the video, you can hear me like walking up to the house and I yell out, I'm like, hello, you know, like they do in horror movies where like you're calling out to your murder. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Come and get me. Right. And I'm playing out like this super dramatic, you know, this thing in my mind. And and I just had a really odd gut feeling that something was off there, like all joking aside, that like something was really off there. And it was enough of a 
a red flag that I, I felt very impressed that I needed to leave. And, and I don't think it was any kind of like a ghostly apparition, anything like that. It could have been that, you know, maybe there was a, an open well that I could have fallen in. And that was just some, you know, I'm, I am a, a believer in God. Maybe that was just like an impression that like, Hey, this is a dangerous situation. You need to get in your car and leave. It could have been some creep hiding out there, a squatter. Thankfully I've never come across one, whatever, but it was just, it was strong well, you, enough. It was, it was creepy enough. I left. You, you trusted your instincts. That's good. I did for sure. So it wasn't sketchy. It was just like, you know, hairs are standing up on my arms and I decided to listen to that one. Good. So what's your uh, favorite story uh, that you like to tell from your adventures? Um, besides my guy that I told you about in the beginning, um, my other one, I told this story once, posted about it, and ended up taking down the story at the request of the property owner. And it's been long enough now, I feel like I can tell it. <laughs> there was an abandoned house that my daughter and I stopped at. And it sets back off the road. The front door is wide open, and again, me videoing myself going into houses comes into play here because the, the front door is standing wide open, and it had been open long enough that ivy is growing up the steps and into the house. Obviously, it indicates house has been wide open for a while. The back door is kicked in. The house has been ransacked, and it's super obvious the house has been vacant for a long time. We go in, and there's quite a few pieces of furniture and content still behind in this house, which I'm fascinated with. So I'm look, playing detective, looking through stuff, looking at calendars, newspapers, trying to figure out like how long has this house been empty? And we go in this one back bedroom and there is a bed and a dresser and a baby crib. And the drawers of the dresser had been pulled out, which at some point had held hundreds of letters. And the letters were scattered all over the floor. And I pick it up because I notice that the letters have the old-fashioned airmail, you know, where it's red and blue striped around it, around the edges of the envelopes. I pick it up because it indicates it's an old piece of mail. And I see that it's during the World War, is during World War II era. And I start picking up more letters and more letters and more letters. And it's all World War II letters. And I'm starting to look at names and dates and military base addresses on it. And I realize... And this kind of stuff is never found in houses, ever, like military memorabilia, especially World War II. Any homeowner, any property owner I've ever talked to that has told me their home, abandoned home places have been robbed or, you know, vandalized, people come in there and that's, if that kind of stuff is left behind, that's the kind of stuff that gets stolen. I don't know if it's like valuable or what, or the historical value or what. So anyways, I see all these letters and it's kind of like, oh crap, what do I do with these? It was, I kind of felt like it was this moral dilemma. Do I let them sit here and rot because mice are starting to eat them and leaves have blown in the house and this is, this is probably three or 400 letters here? Or do I gather them up with me and take the chance of getting in trouble for trespassing, contacting the owner and being like, here, Mr. Owner, surely you didn't mean to leave these letters behind because this is super important to history. <laughs> and, and almost like in a panic, I scooped the letters up, as many of them as I could. There was an empty uh, old suitcase on the bed. And I put them all in the suitcase and I take them home and I start reading them. This is one of my little bylaws. If there is anything of value 
like I will not take it from a home because I am my integrity means more than anything in, in this hobby. I take these letters home and I start reading them and I'm trying to find clues as to like who is the owner of this and, and why were these letters left behind? And I start putting the pieces of this puzzle together and I'm like crying as I'm reading these letters because what it is, this is like a saving private Ryan moment. It's four siblings, a sister and three brothers that all served in World War II. One of them was maybe back then, like the Army and Navy were like the same branch or some, there was some funky something that's different now versus then. So one of them was like Navy, another one was Army. They're all stationed at different bases and they're all writing letters back and forth to their mother. And the mother had very carefully organized these letters. You could tell at some point she kept them in the envelope. I went back to the house and and got the rest of the letters once I realized kind of the historical value of the of the letters. And then it became like this mission of, I am going to find this owner. And this is going to be like this joyous reunion of these, of this family memorabilia. I'm thinking I'm like saving the day. The, the mother had individual boxes with the kids' names on them of where she had stored these, these letters. And, and somebody had come in and ransacked the house and scattered these letters everywhere. So I take them home. I'm organizing them by date, by sender. I'm tying them in ribbons, labeling them, putting them in Ziploc bags. And I mean, I've got this whole like operation going on in this extra bedroom of my house. And I was doing these little blurb posts on Facebook and it was like, hey, I'm trying to find the owner of these letters. And um, does anybody know who this is? And I think I posted a, a black and white photo of the a sailor or, or a um, Marine or something like that. And one of my followers had contacted a news channel. The news channel contacts me and they're like, hey, we would love to do a story on this and let's get these, let's reunite the, the letters with the, the owner. And I'm like, perfect. I would love to do that. In the meantime, I'm calling the county land records, the county museum to see if you know, what should I do with the letters? I called the National World War II Museum, the one that Tom Hanks started. And because this was like a D-Day newspaper was there and one son got killed in the air flying over France and the rest of his, uh, what would they be called, platoon maybe? Some of them also got killed in action and some of them were missing in action and some of them were prisoners of war. And so some of the letters were mothers writing to each other have you heard this? I found this out about my son. He's in this camp. What do you know? And their only means of communication is letters. Oh and I'm like, wow. as a mom, I'm like, oh my gosh, I couldn't imagine not knowing where my child is. And that's the only way I could find out is putting clues together from other moms. So I'm doing all this research on my own. I had a friend that came over to the house and helped me organize the letters. And I ended up having a box full. I ended up somehow tracking down an address and a, and a phone number to the son of the one that got killed over France. Apparently, this son had been a baby when his dad um, went off to serve. I get him on the phone, and I'm just like, can't talk fast enough explaining to him. I'm so excited. I'm like, oh, I found you. I, I You know, let me explain. I trespassed, and, and please understand that I did it really respectfully, and, you know, and I'm like, trying to explain why I was in his house, his, his dad's house, essentially, or grand, it would have been his grandparents' house, why I have the letters and 
I don't, you know, all I want to do is just reunite them with your family. Did you know that they were left behind? I'll bring them to you. You can look me up and figure out, like, I'm legit. I don't want anything for them. I'm just trying to reunite the letters because I'm into, I'm really into genealogy and family history. And this history, I thought, was just monumentally important. He was super leery of me, understandably. I'm like, here's my name, my address, my phone number. Here's some family relatives. He knew a couple of them. This, you know, I'll bring them to you. Uh, I've got them organized, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, well, just, okay, hold on. Just let me, let me look you up. Let me do a little bit of research on my end and we'll talk again. And he says, yes, that was my dad. And I thought the world of my dad and he tears up. And, and, um, and I knew that this guy that I had on the phone was the right guy because I had done extensive research to make sure I had the right person. I don't hear from him. Time goes by and I'm like, well, this is awkward. So I give him another call. Hey, do you, do you want me to, do you want the letters? I'll mail them to you. you. I'll meet you in a public place. I'll bring them to you. What do you want me to do with the letters? I've got them ready to go. And he just was really weird about it and noncommittal and wouldn't really answer anything. And I never heard from the guy again. And, and the, the phone call kind of ended abruptly. And it was just, it was just awkward. I sent him another text after that. Because I thought, well, maybe I just need to get it in writing to prove that, like, I'm trying to get these letters to this guy. Fast forward a year and a half later to today, I still have that big box of letters. I never heard from the guy again. He never responded to a text. The only thing that I could guess, and I found this out from Land Records, was that that house, which was his grandparents, was abandoned. There were two houses on the left and the right of it that were also abandoned that were owned by both of his uncles that also served, those were abandoned. And then I mean like 60 some acres of land that went behind these three houses. The only thing that I could guess was that somehow this was caught up in like probate court. I, I don't know. It was just like this weird mystery that ended abruptly. And the bottom line is I still have all these letters and I don't know what to do with them. I contacted the uh, National World War II Museum in, I think it's New Orleans explain to them my long explanation as to how I got them and can I donate them to you. I don't need them. I don't want them. They belong in a museum. It's like, you should just, you should read some of the stuff that's in it. It's really cool. Took them a couple of weeks before they finally got back and they said, well, there's, there's a living relative that could have claim to it. So unfortunately we can't take it. I don't know what to do with these letters. (laughs) They're really well preserved in my closet, so um, I hope one day the owner decides to contact me, and I will be glad to to take the letters to him. But it's probably the coolest thing I've ever found in a house. Do you have a best shot? All of mine are my favorite. <laughs> Does that <laughs> that's sound a good answer. That's a good. That's a good answer. That's yeah, awesome. that's great. No, be- I, well, I swear, every one I post, I'm like, oh, man, I really love this one. Um, but the, the ones of the, the contents are the ones that I like so much. And I always think these are probably super lame to somebody else. Like I posted one today and it was the contents of the it was a Vietnam veteran that lived there. And I think this is probably wildly boring to somebody else. But it it does really those posts do really, really well when I photograph the contents. It is the personal, intimate items that people owned and loved and used and needed that that I love photographing. And so those, I can't name one, those in general are my favorite. I'd like to 
check with you to see if you're doing any shows or art exhibitions or anything like that? I am. I am. I have signed a contract to write a book. And as soon as I get done with that, I, my, my book writing was a little bit interrupted with uh, the, the funeral and, and trying to help my daughter and grandson. And I'm going to crack down, knock out this book. I've already got an idea for like a volume two of it for two different books. And uh, I was asked to be a featured artist at the, uh, I'm sure they do them in Colorado. Actually, I know they do in Denver, uh, the Raw Artist shows. Haven't ever heard of those. To be, oh, look it up. It's really cool. And it's a good hashtag to use is hashtag Raw Artist. Uh, they, it's, a, it's an art show where they invite all these different guests to come in and, and you can showcase your work and you can sell it. And it's just a way for artists to collaborate with other artists and not pay like heavy commission fees or booth fees or whatever um, for the sake of selling your own art. So once I started researching it, it's actually a really cool thing that this girl started and founded the, the Raw Artist Show. So I'm going to be doing that in Charlotte at the end of this year. And I will probably do another one after that because you can do, once you do it once, you're automatically like a, in for a second show after that and I'll probably do one in Salt Lake City um, awesome. Utah yeah the I mean I'm out there enough um, abandoned farmhouses are not a thing out there so it would be it'd be interesting to see how that was received out there this the abandoned farmhouses in the south look so different than the almost kind of pioneer style homes that are out west at least in the Utah area I've seen. So yeah, I've got I've got a couple of things coming up. I'm pretty excited about. Good, good, good. So Laura, do you have uh, a couple of people from either Instagram photographers or art influences? Uh, anybody like that you'd like to give a shout out to? Somebody that might have had an uh, influence on your work. So one of the first people that I connected with, whenever I joined Instagram, was an abandoned photographer by the username Abandonia. Hope I'm pronouncing it right if he hears this. Um, And I don't remember how, but he was one of the first people I became friends with. And uh, he and I are actually getting ready to go shoot together this next week in abandoned prison. Um, We got special permission for him. Pretty excited about. Let's see. I have a username Explore with Taylor. He is a North Carolina photographer. And he shoots amazing and his mood, the mood, I don't know if he edits his photos that way or if he just looks up and that's the mood of all of his photos when he goes out and shoots because they're just so like, I mean, they're like brooding with like this almost kind of dark mood. Mike Will, it's Mike.Will. He's got a very similar style to Explore with Taylor. As I've already told you, Francesca Sierra wins. Yeah. She is amazing. Yeah, her level of history, I love it. And she just does these uh, really precise, like, blurbs, like these little history stories with each of her posts that I love. Yeah, Um, the stories are so fun, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Kelly at the Forgotten South. That girl travels more than anybody I know, and she is lucky (laughs) enough to be able to do it. And she does, I I like her style of photography. She is all over the United States. Um, She's got a huge following. She's super supportive of other artists and, and, you know, thumbs up to her for that. 
And I don't know if you pronounce it Lana or Lana with Southern Ruins. Hers are just like every single post is on fire. I love it. I, I've got like 20 more I could name, but I'm not going to. Yeah. <laughs> That's all right. There's That's a, a bunch, perfect amount there's right a bunch there. Of good ones. Yeah. There, there's so many good artists on Instagram. I love it. So how can people get in touch or what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Private messaging me on Instagram. I have people email me occasionally. I think my email address must be attached to my account. I don't check email that often, but definitely Instagram seems to be the best way. So uh, you want to just uh, share your handles with us again? Sure. I am on Instagram. It is at Abandoned North Carolina, all one word. And my other page, which is my classic car photography, all abandoned, is the queen of rust, but it is the queen of underscore rust. And then I'm also on Facebook at Abandoned North Carolina. And I also have a blog that is www.abandonnorthcarolina.com. Awesome. 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 Well, Laura, we thank you so much for uh, sharing all of your uh, thoughts and you're so articulate. You can tell that you're a writer because you, you, uh, your conversation is very structured and, and it's awesome. We, we sure had a good time interviewing you. And we're looking well, very much you. forward to your book, too. Thank you. Yep. I hope I can get it done sometime soon. So, yeah, thank you guys so much for hosting these and being supportive of other photographers just like us. So I appreciate you guys as well. Well, thank you very much. Well, we appreciate you. it. Okay, the end. I'm done. I swear. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome, though. That's good. That, we that really appreciate you opening up to us. It's a and and everybody listening. So that's going to be great. Yeah, Thank you're you. Welcome. All right. Okay. You guys have a good evening. Once again, Laura, thank you for being our guest on this, our sixth episode of the Capturing the Abandoned Podcast. Folks, be sure to visit and follow Laura on Instagram as at Abandoned North Carolina altogether and on her classic car page at the Queen of underscore Rust. Weary Traveler is a title for the music bit in this show and was composed and performed by my good friend and co-host, Mr. Lex Nichols. For your listening pleasure, we have included the full track at the end of the show. You can find more of Lex's music on his website at LexNichols.com, on his YouTube channel, Spotify, and on iTunes. Be sure to give him a listen. And just as a plug here for the book that we've been working on for a while now, it's finally done and is now available for pre-order on Amazon as a prime item. The book contains over 200 of our favorite images that we've taken over the last three years and provides some insight into who Lex and I are. Just search for Colorado Abandoned and it should just pop right up in Amazon. We've reached the end of this episode of Capturing the Abandoned and we hope that you have enjoyed it. You should be able to find this podcast wherever fine podcasts are served, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Overcast, and more. Please subscribe and be sure to let any of your adventurous friends and relatives know about this podcast. Your feedback is important to us, so please feel free to reach out to us at capturingtheabandoned at gmail.com and leave us your thoughts, ideas, and suggestions on how we can improve this show and bring you the best Capturing the Abandoned experience. Fun times, exciting guests, and abandoned content are up ahead. So please stay tuned. And until next time, 
be safe out there. And as promised, here's the full track of Weary Traveler by Letts Nichols.